0: Welcome to preheated kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington.
1: And I'm Stefan Cohn in London.
0: Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. This week, we're reviewing a chilled and boozy chocolate whiskey souffle with salted butterscotch sauce and deciding if this dessert tastes just as good as it sounds. We'll also be introducing that famous holiday Victorian classic, don't worry, I won't sing, the Figgy Pudding. Finally, we'll be circling the globe to share some of our listeners' favorite holiday treats and special memories from their corner of the universe. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk.
1: Andrea, it's Christmas Eve, so Merry Almost Christmas to you.
0: Merry Christmas Eve to you as well.
1: And I have to know, are you an open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day family?
0: We are a combo. We open one present on Christmas Eve. It's usually pajamas. Mm -hmm. And then our Mm -hmm. main presents we open on Christmas morning. How about you guys? Yeah, that sounds almost
1: exactly the same down to the pajamas. In fact, my husband's sister always sends the kids new jammies. So that's something they really look forward to. We also do a big meal on Christmas Eve that's usually a little bit bigger than Christmas Day. So I am going to be retiring to my beef roast and roasted potatoes and Yorkshire puddings and Christmas crackers here in a few moments.
0: Oh, wow. Normally that would sound so good, but because of our time difference, it's breakfast time for me. (laughs) It doesn't have quite the same appeal this time of
1: day. (laughs) Yeah, Santa gets to England a little bit before uh, the west coast of the U.S., that's
0: right. Well, and thanks to all of our listeners. Obviously, Stefan and I are celebrating Christmas, and we talk about that quite a bit. We've loved seeing the holidays that you celebrate in your corner of the world. We've seen some beautiful pictures from your celebrations as well. So we hope this holiday time has been fun for you, no matter which particular holiday you happen to be celebrating. Absolutely. Don't forget Speaking of holiday celebrations, we were on the Christmas Past Podcast on the Fruitcake episode number 27. So when you've got some time, head on over to your podcast app and check out the Christmas Past Podcast episode 27, Fruitcake. We think it's a lot of fun. And speaking of fruitcake... (laughs) I did go ahead and add my neighbor's fruitcake recipe to our website, preheatedpodcast.com.
1: Oh, I saw that. So exciting.
0: Yeah, this is the recipe that I've been making, I think, for three or four years now. So I'm comfortable with it. I know it turns out really well. And I think it's going to be one of our best yet. So I'm super excited about it.
1: Yes. And thanks to your friends for sharing that and putting it up on our webpage. That's really great. Well, Andrea, a few episodes ago, I talked, I teased you a little bit. I said I was going to a cooking demonstration at Borough Market here in London, and that has happened. So I have a really quick update on that class, which was super fun. Oh, cooking with class update. Yay. (laughs) Cooking with Class update. So we were in the demonstration kitchen at the Borough Market. And the chef this day was Ursula Ferrigno. And I have got to check out more work by Ursula because she was amazing. She was such a force of nature. So bubbly, so full of life. And Andrea, the demonstration was an hour and a half. And the woman did eight recipes and then on the spur of the moment in the last 10 minutes decided to whip up a batch of fresh pasta
0: oh my gosh, this is like a speed dating, but speed baking. (laughs) She
1: was on fire. She was so much fun. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye out if she does any more classes. But I wanted to quickly mention one that she did that I thought would be perfect if anyone is still listening and is looking for a really quick gift from your kitchen or just wants to make something festive in the days after Christmas as well. And it was a stuffed... Fig, okay, Andrea. It's about four ingredients. It was so classy. Uh, dried fig, cut it just like a slit. Mm-hmm. Put a blanched almond inside. Okay. Roll it in orange zest, and then dip half of it in
0: dark chocolate. Ooh, that does sound interesting.
1: It was so good. It had so many kind of complex flavors going on and textures. I really liked. So you had the very kind of chewiness from the fig, but then the crunch from the almond. As you know, you and I both team citrus zest, yes. so I loved that. And then the combination with a very dark chocolate on just a bit of it, not the whole thing since figs are already pretty sweet. It was really good. It was really classy. And of all the things she set out to try, that was gone instantaneously. So
0: I thought that is really popular with other people as well. Oh, I think I will try that. Speaking of blanched almonds, my husband got me a cookbook for my birthday called Six Seasons, and I'm just obsessed with it. I have made probably 12 to 15 recipes out of it, and so far, nothing has gone wrong. It's And it's a very vegetable-forward cookbook. Mm. he had a recipe for brined and roasted almonds oh wow i thought it was so unusual you soak the almonds in a mixture of boiling water and salt for half an hour before you roast them and it really did make a difference they're so good they're so salty they're so fresh so yeah i might try making that fake recipe you just mentioned i still have a container full of those brined almonds
1: Yes, I really recommend it. It was such a nice but simple but just really classy and sophisticated thing. So I loved watching her work. She also made a chili oil. She made some savory palmiers, which is a puff pastry. She had them filled with different things like Dijon and Parmesan or very thinly sliced ham. And she also did... The Fresh Pasta, which wasn't even on the list of things she was going to get to. So it was really fun. And my friend Angelique and I had a great day out at the Borough Market. And yeah, so I'll be definitely keeping an eye on if she's coming back to the market or what else she's up to within London.
0: Now, you said her name was Ursula Ferrigno. Any relation to Lou Ferrigno of Incredible Hulk fame?
1: One can only hope.
0: (laughs) I didn't get a chance to
1: ask Ursula. (laughs) That would be quite the talented family. I'll put it on the list for next time. Yes, right? <laughs> so proud. Those parents must be.
0: One other quick and simple recipe with a few ingredients that I wanted to mention. Listener Vicki, back in episode 100, had told us she had been adapting our Happy People Fudge and having great success with it. And so our Happy People Fudge is in episode 6, if you want to hear the recipe. Yep. And it's typically made with a mixture of semi-sweet chocolate chips and milk chocolate chips. I adapted it recently, my husband asked for a dessert that contained peanut butter and butterscotch. I bought the butterscotch chips, and I used the full bag of those, which is two cups. Mm -hmm. And then I used two-thirds a cup of peanut butter, and then the regular recipe otherwise. Two cups of miniature marshmallows, a can of sweetened condensed milk, a little bit of salt, a little bit of vanilla. Instead of walnuts, I used peanuts. Okay. It's really pretty. It's creamy. It's that sort of yummy, caramelly-looking color. And if you've got a peanut butter fan or a butterscotch fan in your life, this is a fun treat for them. It turned out so good good
1: that recipe is so adaptable yes vicky had said that other people have said that you've just proven that point as well yeah yeah delicious oh yum i would really like that variation too well andrea one last thing it's christmas eve you might be wanting to settle in by the tree by the fireside <laughs> here are some twists to round out our boozy month uh twists on some hot chocolates that sounded yummy oh yeah all from the bbc good food magazine i will post a link on the show sheet for this episode three twists the first hot chocolate and orange Mm. so the zest of half an orange with some dark chocolate and then some orange liqueur so like a contro delicious the next a salted caramel rum hot chocolate so using dark rum dulce de leche or caramel milk milk chocolate with a pinch of flaky sea salt Mm. And finally, midnight mint, that might be the one I go for, peppermint extract in your double cream and milk, dark chocolate, and then creme de menthe topped with whipping cream and chocolate curls. Of course, any of those I think you could take out the alcohol as well for kids or other folks in your family who weren't wanting to drink. Sure. Those all sounded really luxurious to me. Those do sound really good.
0: Quick question, is there a difference between hot chocolate and hot cocoa or are they the same thing? Here's how I differentiate. Oh,
1: no, true! <laughs> so excited that you have an answer. <laughs> You've pulled into the right kitchen. I think hot cocoa is when you make it with cocoa powder. Oh, okay. And hot chocolate is when you melt the chocolate.
0: Oh, okay. I like that distinction.
1: Yeah, and they're both very nice. I mean, making hot cocoa from scratch using like your Hershey's baking cocoa or another kind of baking cocoa, you mm-hmm. make kind of like a slurry with a little bit of milk and vanilla and maybe some salt and sugar. And then you add in the the milk or the cream but the hot chocolate is just even richer because you're just melting down pure chocolate to start with
0: all right Uh i might have to do a little side-by-side taste testing let's move on into this week's recipe review and that is the chilled chocolate and whiskey souffles with salted butterscotch sauce from good housekeeping uk Stefan, we spoke earlier about how we sort of casually mentioned this recipe in an earlier episode when we were making a suggestion of serving a chilled dessert. Yeah. And I was so entranced by the title of it that I immediately decided to do a little takeover of our December planning and insert this dessert. So let's find out if my strategic move was successful. Stefan, what did you think about this particular dessert?
1: So basically, you have a souffle in name only. This is a chilled custard or chilled mousse, really, that is going to hopefully look like a souffle, kind of billowing out the top of your ramekins. Yeah. That said, you do need to set aside some time for this recipe. There are several steps, there are several kind of beat the egg whites. Beat the whipping cream, boil the custard, let the custard chill. So that would just be my one upfront thing to folks looking to make this, that just read the instructions really thoroughly. You're not going to be whipping this one up on the spur of the moment. No. Not to mention it needs at least four hours to chill because you're using a gelatin and that needs to set. Andrea, I would say in general making that custard, I was looking for a mixture that was thick. Thicker than what mine ended up as and it says you need to put all the ingredients and then cook that without boiling for about five minutes while it's thickening. I cooked for 10 and it still was really really thin. How was your texture in step three?
0: Oh, interesting. So I, at five minutes, stopped. And you know I use a wooden spoon, and I lifted it up and ran my finger along it. That's how I always check to see if it's thick enough. And it was very thin. I mean, at that point, it was like my finger didn't even make a mark. So I turned the heat up a little bit, and then I went another five minutes. So it was 10 minutes for me. It said it should be steaming. Do not allow it to boil. I might have had some little bubbles right around the edges. Mm -hmm. But no, it got nice and thick for sure.
1: Okay, so that might have been an issue for me later on. I just couldn't get mine to thicken. Mm. I did then strain my mixture. As you know, I am a strainer. I did too. Yeah. I love that and I'm glad I did. I did have some bits of egg in there even though I had worked really hard to not let mine boil as well. Yeah. And then you are adding in your melted chocolate and you've got a luscious kind of chocolate pudding at that point. Setting it aside to cool. I just pop mine in the fridge I would say that by the time I came back to it when it was entirely cool, it had firmed up already, but it was still liquidy. I wouldn't say, oh, I've got chocolate pudding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then you are having some whipped cream into that cooled chocolate mixture and then also some whipped egg whites. Yes. Egg whites whipped till firm peaks. What do you consider firm peaks?
0: I have this stand mixer, and so I put the egg whites in there. I have the whisk attachment. I get it going. Yep. I have to admit I didn't time it, but, you know, I was keeping an eye on it. And what I do occasionally is just turn the mixer off, lower the bowl, and I see if those peaks stay attached to the whisk. Mm-hmm. That's sort of my test. Mm-hmm. You know, I do it until they, you know, they really look like little mountains. You know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, no, so me too, me too. But once I had everything mixed, it was kind of a grainy texture, and so I wondered if that was because I had overbeaten the egg whites. Mm. I don't know if you noticed the
0: texture at all
1: when you were all incorporated.
0: I didn't notice the texture being grainy. Okay, I did also keep my egg whites in the refrigerator between when I cracked them and when I whipped them. I don't know if you did that, and maybe that's what made a little bit of a difference is the temperature
1: that's a really good point because I don't refrigerate my eggs here that's what I was thinking Mm -hmm. yeah so I didn't think to pop them back I just kind of went about the rest of the recipe and then pulled the egg whites over and did it so good point Mm -hmm. I used one large bowl I didn't have enough ramekins to do this individually so I used one large souffle dish it wasn't billowing over the top but it was still really light really fluffy Although I think it was a mild taste, I didn't taste a lot of chocolate or whiskey. Mm-hmm. It was a little subdued. So I was really happy for that butterscotch sauce mm-hmm. and the nice contrast between the cold mousse and the hot sauce really worked for me. Mhm. All of this said and done, just kind of some hurdles I guess for me during this recipe. How did it go for you, Andrea?
0: I had issues. Um <laughs> Now, many of these issues are my own fault. So first of all, the title of this recipe so intrigued me, but I realized as I was making it that I was making a mousse or a pudding because the idea of a warm chocolate and whiskey souffle with salted butterscotch sauce sounded so good to me. Oh, then you were thinking about that. Yeah, I just kept comparing it and thinking, oh, this would be so good. So, you know, that's my own fault. But can you guess what my biggest issue with this recipe was being the one bowl baker that I am Oh, well there was maybe 12 bowls going on in this recipe. <laughs> so many bowls. <laughs> There is a medium bowl for the chocolate and whiskey. There is a bowl for the egg yolks and the castor sugar. There is a third bowl for the gelatin and the water. There is a fourth bowl for the whipping cream. There is a fifth bowl for the egg whites. There is a large jug that you're supposed to just whip out because, you know, your sink's not already completely full with all of these bowls. Not to mention all the ramekins. I mean, when I look and the group that made this as the Good Housekeeping Cookery team, I was like, of course they need a team. Does someone has to do all the washing up. <laughs> so <clears throat> I had to get that off my chest.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the ramekins presented their whole kind of level of frustration because I couldn't get the parchment to stay around the bowl. Oh, and you had to do
0: it eight times. I'm so glad you said that. I thought it was me. They suggested using eight... 110-milliliter ramekins. So I do have eight ramekins. Mm -hmm. I did the ounce measure, just a little under four ounces. When I measured my ramekins, they were eight ounces. So I thought, okay, I'll do four. Yeah. And... I have parchment paper and, you know, you're supposed to take your baking parchment and wrap a double thickness around the outside of the ramekins and secure it with a rubber band. First of all, where are all the rubber bands in my house? I know I come home from the grocery store and I have tons of them, but actually getting my hands on them when I needed them proved to be quite the challenge.
1: Well, honey, where are all the rubber bands in this country? The only ones I have are the ones I literally moved with. I cannot find a
0: rubber band here to save my life. <laughs> I kept imagining that huge ball, you know, you can get at places like Staples or Office Depot. I'm going to have to get I know. that. Yes. I know. I immediately thought this is would actually be a useful gift for me. So, yeah, I finally got the parchment around the ramekins. As I poured the mousse into the first ramekin... I realized, oh, this is going to be huge. This is not a single serving dessert. Because once I filled the ramekin you know, with eight ounces of mousse, and then you want it another inch over the top to sort of imitate that souffle look, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is enormous. Okay. So then I thought, no big deal. I've got other smaller ramekins. And thus began my ramekin adventure. I have ramekins with curved sides oh. and trying to get parchment around those ramekins and then the elusive rubber band to stay around the parchment. I mean, I was wrestling with these ramekins for like half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was laying in bed that night, and in the middle of the night, I woke up and I thought, I could have used my mason pint jars, my short, oh, yeah, my short, wide mouth mason jars, of which I probably have 10 billion. Yeah, I mean,
1: once you do realize it's just chilled mousse, there's no, it doesn't matter what you put it in. And that was one of my frustrations as well, because I spent 15 minutes on the clock trying to get the parchment around my one big one, and I finally did. And then what happens? The rubber band like shoots across. And then I was like, I'm just taping it. I'm just taping it. It's not even going in the oven. I can tape it. Yeah. You can't put tape on parchment paper because it's waxed or whatever. Yes. So I finally get it on there. And when I poured my mousse into into the ramekin from its jug, it didn't even need the parchment paper. Ugh. So it was, it was not necessary anyway. So Ugh, yeah, goodness. step one. I think we were in complete uh,
0: yeah. frustration and agreement about that. Yeah. So if you soldier on past step one, (laughs) you've got your chocolate and your whiskey. I used a nice Theo dark chocolate. It was either 70 or 72%. And whiskey, of course, I used the Irish whiskey that we had bought to use earlier in our homemade Irish cream. And, of course, I always have milk and coffee. I didn't have any trouble heating those items up. You know, they tell you to beat the egg yolks and the castor sugar until well combined. I always like it when a recipe author tells me if I'm going to use the whites later in the recipe. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that before. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I did pop them into a little bowl and throw them in the fridge thinking that, you know, I might end up using them later. And as it turned out, I did end up using them later um, in step five. So I'm glad I saved this. Uh, Did the gelatin with the water. That was super fun. My first experience with leaf gelatin. Thank you so much for sending it my way. I had a very similar experience to yours um, with tempering the... You know, egg yolk mixture with the hot milk mixture. I used my flat whisk, which I love so much, that flat silicone whisk. If you don't have one, I strongly recommend you get one. It is great when you're doing anything that involves eggs or cream. You can stir constantly and nothing will scorch. Yeah. I left mine out on the counter to chill once I had everything combined, and it took about 40 minutes. Okay. Cover surface with cling film. I love the word cling film. Oh, I just I love your recipes, and I whipped my cream, no problem. I whipped my egg whites, no problem. Added into the chocolate mixture. The recipe says it's going to be tricky at first, but have patience. The mixture will come together, and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit tricky, but it does eventually come together, so that's fine. And then I did divide my mixture into the three ramekins, and I chill them to set, it says at least five hours. I, I made mine early in the morning, so I think mine was probably more like seven or eight hours. Yeah. The salted butterscotch, now this step seven, in my mind, is a recipe in and of itself. This is melted butter, some sugar, some cream, and a little bit of salt. And you bring it to a boil, simmer it for three to five minutes, stirring it occasionally. Again, I use that flat silicone whisk that I'm so enamored with. I think this item is something that you can serve with multiple dishes. It's sort of like starting a caramel, but not letting it get to that soft crack stage. And so,
1: as far as the flavor went, what did your family think about it?
0: I didn't tell my husband what it was. I just said, try this. And he tried it and he said, oh, this is a really good chocolate pudding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, and it is. Um, I didn't taste the whiskey at all. I don't know if that's because the chocolate that I used was a really good chocolate. I definitely tasted the chocolate. So maybe, although the recipe said use one with 70% cocoa solids, maybe I would back off and do one with 60%. I don't know. Because I thought it would be fun to taste the whiskey. I did love the contrast of the chilled mousse with the warm caramel sauce. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, the salted butterscotch sauce was the real winner in my household. I have saved a jug of that. It's in my fridge. We've been eating it on ice cream. Sometimes I pop a little bit into my coffee. It is delicious. The mousse itself, it was good. It was a really good chocolate pudding.
1: Yeah. It was a lot of work for underwhelming results. Yeah. Maybe a good takeaway with that butterscotch sauce. Yeah. And maybe an even better takeaway to look for a nice hot, whiskey chocolate souffle combo a real souffle coming up that could be something that we keep our eyes peeled for
0: yes one other tip I'll add when I peeled off the baking parchment collars from the souffles I had not greased them and so it really left a very rough and jagged edge I think it would have been a little bit prettier if maybe I had sprayed that and it came off and was just a little bit smoother
1: oh Yeah, good point. Of course, I didn't have that problem because my pudding did not billow to the top of my wrestled-with parchment collar. You did not billow. (laughs) As we move on to our bake-along this week, our figgy pudding. We have some more exciting times
0: ahead of us. I think we will. I am so excited to try this. You know, I never knew that this was an actual dessert. Of course, I just knew it from the song. But my favorite geezer guide, How to Make Spotted Dick and Other Suet Puddings. <laughs> your, your favorite geezer guide, yes. <laughs> Don't we all have one? <laughs> I mean amongst amongst my list of geezer guides. Um, Jeff and Vicki Wells are the authors of this. They've generously agreed to let us publish their recipes and what I love so much about their book is that they publish the traditional version and the instant pot version. So of course I am going to make the instant pot version and Stefan, you are going to make the traditional version, yes? I absolutely
1: am. This is a stovetop steamed pudding. So if you did do our Sussex Pond pudding with us last spring during our Royal Treatment Month, that was a uh, steamed pudding done in the oven. So this is more traditional to do it on the stovetop. You're going to need a large Dutch oven would be great. Something that's going to be able to hold your pudding basin with the boiling water. And you also need time. This, this recipe is not difficult, but it is time consuming. If you're doing it the traditional way, you need three hours
0: to steam that. Same thing with the Instant Pot. It's got a 90-minute steam function with a natural pressure release that says it can take up to 45 minutes. So I also would plot out three hours for my figgy pudding. Even though it's an Instant Pot, it is not going to be done in an instant.
1: These ingredients are readily available and very, very traditional Either way, if you're doing an instant pot or traditional, you're going to need some suet. That is a fat that is coated in flour. And here in England, the brand is a Torah. I think you can get that in the States, Andrea.
0: I just love that you said these ingredients are readily available, as if suet is just flying off the shelves here in the United States.
1: Hey, hey, where I live, we're just all crazy about the suet. (laughs)
0: You're mad about suet. I am going to substitute leaf lard. I get mine online from a company called Fanny & Flow. I know that you can also buy it on Etsy. There's a guy named Leaf Lad that sometimes sells it. So do look for actual leaf lard as opposed to regular lard. Regular lard has a bit of a porky flavor to it. Leaf lard is clean and unflavored. And if you need to buy a bit more than you think you need because this recipe calls for a three- quarters of a cup and you need to buy maybe a pound to have it make sense with the shipping, be rest assured you can use leaf lard in your pie crust and you can keep it in your freezer. It lasts a good long time so it will not go to waste.
1: And likewise, if you want to use a vegetarian suet, that is available as well and likely a vegetarian vegetable shortening would also be a fine substitute here, maybe coated with a little bit of flour. Oh, yeah. Good point. Once you're past the everyday ingredient of suet, then you have... (laughs) Brown sugar, eggs, some cream sherry, figs. You can use fresh or dried. Andrea, I'm going to be using some dried because I know I have those in the house. Some molasses or treacle, as we say here, ground cinnamon, breadcrumbs, and vanilla. You're going to be mixing all of that up, putting it into your greased and sugared pudding basin. I love that I'm sugaring something, not flouring it. I know. And then you are putting a parchment or wax paper collar, uh, not, I swear, as hard as the chilled mousse, making a (laughs) kind of a lid, tying that with twine, and then wrapping the whole thing in a kitchen towel. Now, just a caution, if you're doing this the traditional way, that kitchen towel is going to get completely wet by the time you're done steaming. So make sure it's nothing that, you know, is perhaps too precious to you that you would mind that being boiled for three hours.
0: Good point. Well, remember, we'll have a link to these recipes in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 105, and it'll also be on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook group, Preheated.
1: Andrea, you mentioned a few episodes ago that you absolutely had to have at least one pecan pie every year around the holidays. Is that right?
0: Yes, (laughs) that is right. My mom always made one, either at Thanksgiving or Christmas, and it was my very favorite. She would leave it out to cool overnight, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night or early in the morning, and I'd sneak into the kitchen, and I'd try to chip away tiny pieces of pecan (laughs) that maybe she wouldn't notice. (laughs) <laughs> so that is a, a fond, fond memory for me. And speaking of pie, Betty mentioned cherry pie. That is my brother's favorite, my dad's favorite. And listener Eric said that he makes emeralds chocolate pecan pie, which is another mm. one of my favorites. How about you? What's your favorite holiday must-have dessert?
1: Well, it's so funny. I was talking about this with my friend Katie recently, and Katie's English. And she was telling me she'd just made her Christmas cake, which is a traditional dessert. We've talked about it earlier this month. It's it's like a fruit cake, but it's coated in a marzipan and fondant frosting, and it's what is traditionally made and eaten at Christmas time in England. And Katie asked me what what's the one Christmas dessert in the U.S. And I had to stop because I don't think we have one thing that people are eating. It's really down to your personal traditions and history. So. I agree. I'm not dodging your question, but for me, I think I have several. (laughs) I love making my almond butter blossoms. I love making cinnamon rolls that we'll eat tomorrow morning. And I love making food gifts. So those all say the holidays to me. And we are not the only ones with some pretty important holiday traditions that must be upheld. Our listeners have some tempting desserts that really make me want to start our preheated road trip right away, Andrea.
0: I know, me too. Road trip.
1: First up, there's Heather with her gingerbread. She describes it as a spicy snowflake. People are requesting it from her months in advance, and it's good as a December dessert or a Christmas morning breakfast. I mean, as a serious lover of gingerbread, this one ticks all of my boxes.
0: I know. I've wanted to make gingerbread forever, and now I can because Heather. Thankfully, posted that recipe from the Boston Globe. And what I really loved is she included her notes as well, all of her notes and tips. Yep, I know. Thanks, Heather. Also, up next, we have a few listeners with some cleverly named desserts. There's the Chocolate Delight from Deborah, the Magic Cookies from Candy, and the Hello Dollies from Brenda. Mm. (laughs) I love recipes that have an aura of mystery around them.
1: Indeed. And an aura of old-fashioned naming as well. But then there's the more traditional desserts. Wendy makes a bouche de Noël, and Robert likes his stolen. Lauren is also attempting a stolen this year, and that started a fun little tangent in our Facebook group with a mention from Alexandra that she is obsessing about stolen as well. Oh, I
0: love that tangent. I've never made stolen. I don't think I'll get around to it this year, but at least now I have several ideas about how I can go about it. Of course, it wouldn't be the holidays without cookies, and listener Monica has a cookie tradition that I think will knock your socks off. She and three of her friends have been getting together for the last 12 years for a full cookie-making day, and they end up with about 40 dozen cookies. Her oh. things like almond crescents, butterballs, Russian tea cakes, along with bigchocitos that she dips in chocolate, and of course, the classic spritz and candy cane cookies, I've only named a few that she told us about. You can't even imagine how lovely they all sound.
1: Does she have a professional kitchen, or do one one of her
0: friends have a restaurant? I know, no. She's just said they rotate houses every year, and they take turns with a single oven, and they do give themselves a break for lunch, which it sounds like they would really need. But speaking of professionals, we do have listener Robert, who is a professional baker, and yet he still takes time every December and takes a day off to bake cookies for his family and friends. I had wondered what he was up to because he first posted a picture of a 25-pound bag of flour, (laughs) and the next picture, which made me laugh so much, was a picture of him shucking just a huge bowl full of Hershey's Kisses.
1: Well, mystery solved. That's what Robert's been up to. Yes, Italian rainbow cookies as well as Pfeffernous, Coffee Snaps, Chocolate Crinkles. What isn't he making this year?
0: I know. Um, The cookie run continues with other listeners. We've got Wendy making some Linzer cookies. Caroline's got the snickerdoodle blondies both Brenda and Valerie are making their gingerbread cookies Lydia is doing a pecan cranberry biscotti and I really liked listener Kate she said that she's one of those people who demands cookies from others she's demanding those ice sugar cookies from her sister-in-law and Renee and Karen both like the rolled sugar cookies Mm. Did you happen to see Karen's comment that we are a sprinkle family, not a frosting family?
1: (laughs) I mean, in general, Karen's family sounds like such a fun group because she also told the story about her mother who hid the fudge outside (laughs) in the grill.
0: (laughs) I've heard of hiding Christmas presents, never of hiding Christmas fudge. That made me laugh so much. And speaking of fudge,
1: Candy also likes making fudge, which seems appropriate given her name. Shirley makes peanut butter fudge, and Amy makes bourbon balls, and then Jocelyn makes a peppermint bark, and thanks also to Jocelyn for posting that recipe for others to enjoy.
0: Yeah, that one looked great. Now, right behind the cookies are the ever-popular breakfast breads. We've got Heather making her Swedish tea ring, Rebecca with those popular cinnamon rolls, and Karen recalling a Christmas morning braid. Then, perhaps the best breakfast treat that I've ever heard of, Kristen is making goffreps, which is a thick, sugared Belgian waffle with whipped cream and strawberries. I will be right over. (laughs) Well, also
1: never one to rest on her laurels, listener Vicky has started a new tradition of making Springerl, which are a German biscuit with an embossed design. And Vicky posted some pictures recently and said she took a class a few years ago and then found some beautiful molds and she is churning out professional level cookies that they almost look too good to eat.
0: They were so beautiful. Renee had a cookie request, and last thing I checked, I didn't see that an answer had been posted, so I want to make sure I shared that. She is trying to replicate her great aunt's Kruszczyki, a Polish bowtie cookie. Anyone with Kruszczyki experience, please help Renee figure out how to make these ethereal delights.
1: They sound great. That's not a cookie I'm familiar with. Me either. Well, I think the best thing about hearing everyone's family traditions is how unique they are and how people are able to blend the new and the old. There's perhaps no better example of this than listener Ruth. Her Italian family has always made homemade pizza, and her husband's family had a tradition of having pizza on Christmas Eve. So they combined the two, and for the past 11 years, they've made homemade pizza together on Christmas Eve. This year, they're doing a night of pies, pizza pie for dinner, and a dessert buffet of pie for dessert.
0: I may have to steal Ruth's family tradition tonight. That sounds like a perfect combination. My Italian husband would definitely want that homemade pizza for dinner, and I want a buffet of pies for dessert. Thanks so much to all of our listeners who contributed and shared their goodies with us. We think we caught everyone who sent us a message as of the time of this recording, but if we didn't mention your name, apologies in advance. We loved seeing your messages and your pictures, and thanks to all of you who shared your recipes. We love watching you bake.
1: So much fun. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing on to this episode. Next week, we'll find out if we're singing the praises of that classic old-fashioned holiday dessert, figgy pudding. And since we have five shows in December, we'll ring out the year and award our coveted blue ribbon in the final bonus episode of 2018. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Do You want to give me and Andrea a gift this holiday season? then please tell a friend about our show and help them subscribe and also consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. We see a noticeable spike in our listeners every time a new review is posted, so it really does help us out. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London.
0: And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington.
1: Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. It is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Andrea, when this episode airs, it is New Year's Eve. No, it's not. Let me start that entirely again.
0: <laughs> Let me just get the timeline right. <laughs> Go to your pod... What do you call it? Go to your... Go ahead... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to call it a podcatcher, but that's not the right thing.
1: There's a helicopter going right over my house. So just a moment. It's probably Wills and Kate. Hang on. And we're almost there. We're almost to the palace. Come on. I can see my house from here. Okay. Okay.